for tuning in. I'm your host, Nicole Steele, and you're listening to A Priceless Perspective, where we're bringing clarity to the issues and challenges facing teen girls today. I'm delighted to have a very special guest on our show. She's a faithful supporter of our organization, Diamond in the Rough, and recently served as a keynote presenter for our annual Jim Camp event. She's an author, businesswoman, and dynamic motivational speaker who packs schools and auditoriums from coast to coast. With the unique ability to captivate people of all ages with her passion and transparency, it is with pleasure that I welcome Mrs. Yvonne Harvey-Williams to A Priceless Perspective. How are you, Ms. Yvonne? Hey, how are you, Nicole? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I am good, and we are so excited to have you on the show and to be able to introduce you to the listeners of A Priceless Perspective. I had the pleasure of meeting you several years ago and hearing your powerful testimony at a conference that I attended, and you shared how you grew up in New Jersey and actually attended the high school that was depicted in the motion picture Lean on Me with uh, Morgan Freeman. Can you share a bit of your personal testimony with our listeners today? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Pretty much I was born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, People pretty much know my town based on the movie because of Joe Clark and the influence that he had on our school, which Eastside High School at the time was pretty much um, overwhelmed with a lot of negative that was happening in the community. A lot of the young people that grew up in my neighborhood were pretty much exposed to. uh, I grew up with a mom who got pregnant with me at 13. She had me at 14, and by 15 she had two babies, and by 18 she had three. All of us had different daddies, and, you know, we were on welfare. We didn't know our dads. We didn't know their names. So the vicious cycle of just pretty much negative generational stereotypes and negative generational um, battles that we faced as young people growing up in an environment with a stepfather who was abusive, extremely abusive. He was on crack cocaine and heroin, and he pretty much abused my brothers and I. Um, Me, personally, between the age of 3 and 13, I can remember just him just being so abusive, beating me to a point where literally I would just be bleeding, um, you know, and and to the point where I just couldn't control my urine. So many different things. It caused me to be um, homeless at 13 and be in the streets and become engaged with uh, violence, drugs, sex, you name it. I did it. Alcoholism. As far as 14, I just remember being overwhelmed Um, by everything I saw on the streets because I was exposed to it. However, getting there, I will say, it wasn't like I wanted to be there. It was almost like it wasn't a choice for me at the time. And without saying too much, I will say that, you know, I ended up getting pregnant at 14, miscarrying, getting pregnant again at 16. So, again, the, the revolving vicious cycle that I was exposed to, I began to become that. And um, I I, I landed at Eastside High School not because I wanted to go. I will say I was a smart girl in school, straight-A student, gifted and talented class. I was initially at the Rosa Parks Performing Arts School. I auditioned. I got in. But because of being homeless, no clothes, my attitude, you know, drinking and everything that I was doing, I ended up failing out of there and going to Eastside High School. It just, you know, it just became... It just became something of a nightmare. I call it a living nightmare. (laughs) Well, as you've shared, the odds were, you know, truly stacked against you, and you had really every excuse in the world to just be another statistic. But there was something that happened within that sent your life on a different path. 
Um, can you share how that transition took place and what things were instrumental in you not being a statistic and now being a successful mother, businesswoman, uh, motivational speaker, just multifaceted individual. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that multifaceted because you guys are diamonds, so I love I love the terminology um, of, of the, the faceted. Let me just say this. I did not get there. I want to say I want to just kind of put everything in perspective. I truly know that I was blessed. I know that it was God who ordained my steps throughout this entire process. I do know that. I do know that instrumentally people came in my life to give me guidance, but the ultimate thing I know it was the rescue of his hand. My my life changed dramatically. Um, I was in an abusive relationship with a young man where often young girls turn to, um, and they do it because, again, because they see it's common. In, in this generation today, a lot of the young people uh, see a lot of common things that are negative, but because it's common, they think it's right, and they become numb and desensitized to things. And I say that because I know I was one of them. I became very, very numb to the whole domestic violence thing. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know I was a victim of domestic violence until I was, like, in my 20s. And someone said, oh, my gosh, you were a victim. And I'm thinking, no, I wasn't. You know, uh, I was in a, a very, very destructive relationship, an abusive relationship. The young man had many other women pregnant, um, some during the same time I was pregnant. After having my son and watching my own self deteriorate and watch his dad go back and forth to jail, I just got sick and tired. I'm telling you, I, I looked around one day, and I had, like, a moment of clarity. I looked at my son. I looked at the fact that I kept struggling for pampers every month. I struggled for milk every month. The WIC checks ran out. The welfare ran out at the middle of the month. And I saw myself becoming my mom. Like, I saw myself, and, and I got scared, and I literally got tired. I was like, there has to be something more to this. I was walking um, to the store, and I got a newspaper, and I, I'm seeing it as I'm saying it to you, and I never really got into the details of this transition. I bought a paper, and I was looking for a job. As I was looking for a job, someone asked me what I was doing. I'm like, I'm looking for a job. And I landed the first job that I interviewed for. That was a very pivotal point in my life because on that journey, I became exposed to positivity. I became exposed to other young people doing it. Like I'm talking about going to work every day, going to college, um, you know, have, they have their own cars. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I'm catching three buses. I'm on WIC and welfare, and I'm thinking, oh, why is your life so different and why? And I, remember, I, I looked at my environment because environment has a lot to do with the way a person is raised, the way a person is governed, and so on and so forth, but I just remember this distinctly getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that job for me, working um, in a sales division for a circulation firm for a New York Times newspaper, became one of the most powerful points in my life of transition. You said something, and I remember in um, several of the, the places that I've seen you speak, you talk about your attitude. Mm -hmm. And I know that if for both of us, we're strong believers that your attitude determines your altitude. Absolutely. Can you can you speak on the importance of having a positive attitude, even if your situation is such that you can't really control it? Because, like in your situation, you had no say to the family you were, you know, birthed into. You had no say necessarily in terms of your neighborhood. But I know that you talk about your attitude in, you know, as you were young mm -hmm. versus that paradigm shift. And, and just I, I think young people need to hear that 
Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Attitude. <laughs> Let me just say this. I had such, well, you know, in, in the, in the grown-up world, we call it defense mechanism. Um, in the teenage world, it is a shield, a protector, something where we don't want people to penetrate it because we're afraid of being hurt and betrayed. And we have this strong attitude of defiance where we don't let people in. I will say I had a rough attitude. Going through school, I developed such a horrible attitude from everything that I had gone through because I had been hurt so much and I had been just pretty much betrayed by the people who I thought loved me and they didn't. And I didn't trust adults. I didn't trust grown-ups. I didn't trust anyone. I had this strong distrust, which, again, the whole attitude was the thing that was more along the lines of I felt like a protector for me, like I'm not going to let you in because if you come in, you're going to hurt me. So the attitude, I, I, I lacked receptiveness. I lacked the ability to allow someone to, to help me and the pride, the thing that I didn't want anybody to help me, even though I needed to help. The attitude was just horrible. Uh, I was, I used profanity a lot. I would curse the person out. I didn't have any respect for adults, anything. And another pivotal point in my life is when I ended up going back to school. I ended up going to school to get my high school diploma, um, my GED equivalent, and then I also ended up attending college. But there was a young woman who was a counselor at my school, at one of the night schools, adult schools that I went to, and she was not from my neighborhood. She didn't look like me. She didn't talk like me. She was older. She was much older, and she was not from the environment that I was from, but her dedication and commitment to to that organization that she worked for to help me as this uh, dysfunctional teenager get through life and be some be the person that I was called to be. You know, she just looked at me one day. She was like, I'm not afraid of your attitude. She was like, you could probably beat me. You could probably, you know, do something to harm me. She said, but beyond, be, behind all of that, I see a true leader and I see greatness. She said, I'm going to keep pushing you until you get what it is that you came for. So she looked, she knew what my attitude was, and that broke me down. Like the, the, the thing that young people have to understand is that people see beyond the attitude who really want to help them. And if they could actually be able to embrace those that are trying to help them that see beyond that attitude, those are the ones that you trust. Those are the ones that you embrace because they have more to offer. And I didn't know that at the time, but here years, many, many, many years later, Claire, that's her name, she saw beyond my attitude. But it is so important for us to drop those barriers to drop that negative attitude because family, we can't choose them. We're born into families. We don't have a say-so on who we're born to. You can't choose your family, but you can most certainly choose your next move in life. And choosing that has all to do with the fact of everybody didn't hurt you. The people that are trying to help you are not the ones that hurt you. Those are the ones that are trying to fix whatever that was broken in your life. And it took me a long time to you know, And the, the ugliness that the attitude perpetuates People don't want to help ugliness. You know, they don't want to help nasty attitudes. They don't want to help. They don't want to waste their time on, you know, helping someone that's extremely um, or appears to be ungrateful or appears to be, you know, like they're every day they're just nasty, you know. And that was me, and I had to learn the hard way. But I'm glad I learned. <laughs> that's right. Now, as you travel across the country speaking to young people and adults alike, what do you feel is the biggest challenge facing young girls today? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, as we know, a lot, a lot of these teenagers are dealing with a lot of situational stuff. A lot of things that they deal with is situational. However, I can say that the most common thread that I've been seeing is a lot of them have this, this sense of hopelessness. Because of the hopelessness, it causes them to look for love in all the wrong people. They are so needy. They're so needy. They have this, 
you know, where they embrace negativity and in the sense of they latch on to things that drain the life out of them. And when it drains them and makes them empty, then they ultimately end up in this place of hopelessness. And pretty much that's what I'm seeing a lot of. Now, for um, girls who find themselves right now in less than ideal home situations or those that have little to no support, what would you give them um, to to pull themselves up, I mean, to support themselves, to encourage themselves? How can they get what they don't have? Absolutely. Um, I try to put things in perspective, Nicole, because honestly a lot of our young people are dealing with the – you know, the mindset that if they dress a certain way or look a certain way, that that is a place of success. And before I even tell them what I, they, I need them to do, I, I tell them about the false images that are projected on television where or in their school where people have to wear $100 sneakers or get their hair done every single day. And I try to really even the playing field with them. I'm like, listen, you have to know what's important, and right now education is important. If you know education is your way out, then the, the thing that you can do to help yourself is get the best grades possible. That's number one. The second thing is, is if education is the way out, then you need to learn, look at it from a long-term perspective. If once you graduate from high school, you can go to college. You might even qualify to get financial assistance where you actually live on campus. Boom, that puts you out of the house. Then you have a place to live. You're independent. You're on your own. And that's short term. If you're a senior in high school, you could be doing that within the next six to eight months. You know. And for teenagers that are younger, like 13 and 14, who are dealing with some heavy, heavy stuff, I often tell them to join organizations right in their communities that they don't even know exist and, and find a friend, an older friend that you can talk to and confide in because typically those people are going to provide answers for you. They're going to be able. They're going to be your your escape. You know, your escape rather than you self medicating, rather than you getting high, because that's going to literally cause long term effects on your life. That's not going to be positive. You know, you want to you want to make a plan. First of all, three to six months where do you see yourself. Five to six years where do you see yourself. And if anybody or anything that's in your life right now at this current moment who who will not enhance that goal, you need to cut them off. And I know it's hard because I had to do it. I mean, I, I face sarcasm, ridicule, um, the fact that people thought I was, you know, being too good for the hood, so they said, and all of this. I said, but what? eventually what happened to me was I ended up getting out because I didn't have all those weights holding me down. So I tell them, empty, empty themselves of all of the weight that you put in your life that you know you can get rid of. Then number two, you need to prioritize. If education is your priority, then your friends shouldn't be people who dropped out of high school. Right. You know, your best. You shouldn't be consulting with a person who has gone through the same stuff and is in the same situation as you. You need to find someone that's out of that situation that you can trust. A counselor at school, a person at church, a someone that's in the, in your community that provides an organization where you can attend, even if it's on the weekends, because that is your breather. That's your. That is the place. And then, if your parents or your mom or dad or whoever you live with, your guardian, they see you doing constructive things, then life might get a little better for you because at least they can see that. Okay. He or she is on the right path. You know what I mean. This is my, my mom saw me going to school, and even though she didn't know how to encourage me, she left me alone, and she left me alone long enough for me to get out. You know, for me to go on my own and do what I needed to do. She didn't. She didn't bother me as much because, and my stepfather, ironically, when I was working, he didn't say anything. That was it. He was done. He wouldn't even breathe a word to me. It was like he was invisible and I was invisible to each other because he he literally left me alone too. Wow. You know, you, you've got a lot of, of nuggets that you share, and one of the, the things that you said when you came out and spoke at our gym camp 
Um, and I, you actually have a T-shirt that I wear all the time, and it's, if you can't stand my shine, then put some shades on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so about the importance of the people that you surround yourself with, the peers, and, you know, there will be, I, I, we tell girls all the time, everybody's not going where you're going. Absolutely. And it's a hard pill to stop, swallow. It's a, it's a, you know, a sad reality. But when young people understand that God has created them for an incredible purpose, that he's mm-hmm. got plan for their life, when they take hold of that, it does require them to take an assessment of who who's in my circle. Are they for me? Are they against me? Can you tell um, the listeners just briefly about how that saying and that shirt and everything came about? I think there was something with your son, with maybe your oldest son. Yes, he he was in my oldest son, who actually will be 22 soon. Is that crazy or what? Uh, he was in high school at the time, I believe, and he kept dumbing down. You know, we use the term dumbing down, meaning he was afraid to shine. Like, he didn't want to be the person that he was created to be, who God created him to be. He was afraid of controversy. So he always settled. He always compromised, and he would pull back, and he wouldn't be his best self, if you will. He was always, like, taking the mediocre road. Like, I'm just going to be, you know, just let mediocrity be my guide. And I was so, I got livid one day. I mean, we were in the kitchen. I was trying to help him study. And he came home and was like, well, Lon, you know, I'm, I don't want to be doing all this stuff because it's going to, you know, this person, people weren't liking him at school. He was getting mean mugged in the hallway. You know, the teens will know what I'm talking about, just mean mugging, guys not liking him, girls respecting him because the crazy thing is, and I don't know, I, I say this all the time, I tell teenage girls, stop wanting the bad guy. Stop always wanting the bad boy. You know, you want the one that's doing the worst or being the best at being the worst because then what happens is the good guys don't know how to be anymore, you know. And son, my son was one of those dudes. He was just kind of like dumbing down and, and not being his best self. And when he came home one day, at the kitchen table, I said, listen, I said, number one, you have to stop worrying about what other people think about you. You're not even worried about what they're saying. You're worried about what they're thinking. And and then you get all wrapped up into this psychological warfare where you're coming home and having conversations with yourself about what people are saying and thinking and feeling, and you can't even be your best self. And now you take it, you're taking the easy way out or the easy road out. And he was just looking at me, and I said, listen, if people can't handle your shine, you don't digress. You don't dumb down. You don't fade. You Literally tell them put some shades on if they can't handle your shine. I absolutely love it. <laughs> and wow. Was, and, I mean, I said it, and before I could take it back, it was already out there, and I heard myself saying it all over the country. And the yeah. children in the middle of my presentation were giving me standing ovations. They were crying in certain states. I was like, well, yeah, this is this is real. This is what they're dealing with. You know, that point in my life made me so – it made my conversation with teenagers even more relevant because I knew where they were coming from. And it doesn't – you know, we as adults, we face it, but not at the level these teenagers are, are facing it, and it's just insane. Right. Now, for um, parents, I know I know that you have two sons, mm-hmm. and you often talk about the joys and the challenges of motherhood. So for the parents who may be listening to today's broadcast, what advice would you give them in helping their child be all that they can be? Oh, gosh, that's another great question. I've come to find that a lot of parents, especially in the line of work that we do, Nicole, are faced with challenges because they, too, have had children when they were teenagers or young or single parenting, the majority. I won't say all of them. 
and they've never been taught how to be the mom, the dad, the person, because they've probably never seen it themselves. That was me. That was me, and I'll, I'll just speak for myself. And a lot of times, a lot of this stuff was trial and error. You know, I did things, and I knew it was inappropriate, and I remember, you know, not being able to handle life. I had to work three jobs. I was stressed out, as a lot of parents are now. I would be stressed out at work. I would bring that stress home. My children would feel that stress. If we had financial stress, my children would feel it. Um, if we had stress in the house where my husband and I were going through problems, my children would feel it. So there were so many different dynamics that I did not learn as a mom that no one taught me because there's no real handbook on how to do this. But the right. survival of the fittest, I will say, my life of prayer really made me sensitive to my children. And one thing that I realized with my teenage son, number one, I had to stop embarrassing him. He was so he would be humiliated when I was the strong mom in front of his friends. No, te- every teenager needs to be respected, and whether or not we feel like if we're doing the old school parenting, like I'm the mother, I'm the father, I say what I want to say. No, we have to realize that these children are faced with greater turmoil in their lives, and we have to not embarrass them in front of people that they hold, you know, at a level of of respect or, or people or peers that they are friends with every single day. Because what that does to them is it causes more ridicule and more stress in their lives. Teenagers are faced with stress. They are. They have different types of stress. And so what happens is when we, we become those uh, imposers of stress, if you will, on, the, on teenagers, they begin to resent us. So now we're no longer the friends. We're no longer the people that they confide in, the, the confidants, you know. And I know people say often they don't want to be their children's friend, but you want you better be their best friend. You know what I mean? You, you better be the person that they run to and want to tell all their problems to and situations to because if not, they will find someone who really is not a friend but a wolf, you know, what I mean in the friend mask and so I learned that I, I just needed to fall back and I just really needed to trust what I put in my son and I just had to believe that whatever I put in him was good then the other thing was I have to as a mom there's no such thing as balance People often try to say, I I need balance, I need balance, I need balance. I'm learning that you can balance certain things in your life, life, but there's always going to be something that's going to take your attention away from what you need to have your attention on, you know, whether it be your children, because they are our number one priority. And as a parent, we have to make them our number one priority. They have to feel like they're our number one priority. A lot of us and a lot of children, you know, they've, they've escaped home, not because of the parents doing anything to them, but just because they saw something that intrigued them and they wanted to see what it was all about. So we have to make sure that what we put in them is good, um, that we're talking to them with respect, that we're having conversation, that it's not always yelling, that it's not always threatening them, that it's not always a rigid conversation where we're just being so brutal that they don't, they're scared. My son, my son, I had an epiphany, Nicole. He said this to me one day. He said, Mom, he was like, oh, my gosh, I can't come to you because every time I come to you, he said, you're so extreme. He was like, you just take things out of proportion. He was like, if I tell you one thing, you're just, you just run with it he was like and I'm not saying that he said you twist my words and he was like you you always then he, then he got me one day because you know I'm really transparent he said you always think the worst of me before you think the best he was like give me the, give me the benefit of the doubt he was like at least at least know that I'm he said I'm smart enough not to do that you taught me better and he always would throw that in my face he was like Ma, you taught me better than that I, re- I realized that my abrasiveness was not helping and I think a lot of parents make the mistake sometimes of being overly abrasive, overly restrictive, overly, you know, the top where they threaten their children more often than they do compliment, you know, and it's just crazy and it, it causes because it's the old school mentality. Like if you've grown up like that where you're you can talk you come in a house, your parents, children are supposed to be seen and not heard. 
So now the kids go to school. They have to sit down. They can't talk for nine hours. They come home. They can't talk. Guess what? They're going to go on Facebook. They're going to go on Twitter. They're going to say some things. They're going to be texting all night long. They're going to be saying some things, and they are not talking to you, but they will talk to somebody. Right. Well, I know, Yvonne, that you have written numerous books and you travel nationally. Um, How can our listeners connect with you to purchase your merchandise or perhaps book you as a speaker? How can they follow you and conversate with you on Facebook? How can they get in touch with you? Okay, well, we have a website, um, and it has all of our products. You can you can book us on uh, you can book me on Facebook. You can get in touch with me. My email, everything. I'm sorry, on my website, it's www.speak the number two inspire all one word speak the number two inspire dot com. That's our website. I am also on Facebook. Um, my name is Yvonne Harvey Williams on Facebook, but that page is, as you know, overrun, so I can't, no one can add me anymore on that page. So we actually created a new page, which is our fan page, and it's, and it's Yvonne Speaks, the number two, Inspire. So that's pretty much how they can get in touch with us. I'm also on Twitter at Yvonne Inspires, and people often you know, who connect with me on Facebook typically connect with me on Twitter as well because I'm always uploading pictures of my travels everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Our books. Our books are also in Barnes and Nobles. Um, you can go to BarnesandNobles.com. You can go to Amazon.com. Um, and then, if you want to read a portion of the book, you can also go to uh, BookNow.com, which will give you a kind of synopsis of the book. Well, <laughs> at Diamond in the Rough, we love you and we appreciate you, and I thank you for joining us on a priceless perspective. Yes, for the listeners, uh, you have her web address. Please go out, contact her. Book her if you are a youth leader, if you are a church, if you are an educator in a school system. She is a dynamic uh, presenter, a facilitator, everything that you need, and she can connect with young and old alike. So thank you again, Ms. Yvonne, for joining us. Thank uh, you. Thank you, guys. I I love you guys, too. (laughs) Yes, continue the great work. Thank you again for joining us here at A Priceless Perspective. For all the beautiful young ladies who tuned in today, I really hope the wisdom and testimony of Ms. Yvonne Harvey Williams was an inspiration to you. Just as there was greatness in her, there's greatness in you also. No matter where you've been or your current situation, there is hope. Every single day you have an incredible opportunity to tap into the greatness within Or you can choose to stay stuck in the same place, doing the same thing with the same people, and getting the same results. I challenge you instead to do as Miss Yvonne said, and to think about the people you spend the most time with. Are they making good choices? Are they headed in a positive direction? Do they encourage you to be all that you can be? If not, then cut them off. Find yourself some positive people who can encourage you and support you and who will challenge you when you need to be challenged. Like she said, if you find yourself surrounded by haters who aren't comfortable with the bright future that lies ahead for you, then simply tell them to put on some shade and keep it moving. I'm Nicole Steele, and that's my priceless perspective. Thank you for tuning in. This show has been brought to you in part by Diamond in the Rough Youth Development Program Incorporated and Gem Makers LLC. Join the conversation.
Visit us online at pricelessperspective.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.